You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Well, I'm an obedient. I thought of George Michael's song, Faith. You gotta have faith, but thought that doesn't do justice at all. <laughs> um, but I do come, I, and I, I might be a little emotional today because um, yesterday I attended a moral service for a friend. Sorry, didn't mean to well up. I prayed, God, help me not to well up. But anyway, he died a tragic death um, uh, a few weeks ago. He went swimming um, in a Tennessee, visiting his parents. He, he's an avid swimmer, gifted swimmer. And his body, he, um, he never came back from that morning swim. And um, two and a half weeks later, they found his body. We weren't sure what caused his death. We thought maybe the current or the, he had a heart attack, but we makes it even worse that um, it was a hit and run, that a boat hit him. And, and um, so, as you can imagine, her, their family are, uh, are experiencing a devastating loss. It's a wife of 34 years, uh, four children, three boys and a girl. And how I got to know him was that my daughter and his daughter were the the ba- they kind of carried the basketball team the last uh, three years in their high school, and him and I were basketball dads, and we talked about life, and we would get together on occasions to have breakfast together and just talk about family, talk about life, talk about how God, uh, uh, God's word, and how he just had a hunger for God's word. And the reason I'm mentioning him is because I, as I think of this passage that that John is encouraging the church, Mike, my friend exude these, these things in his life, faith, love, and obedience, because he understood that, that it was about Jesus and how Jesus made everything new for him. In fact, his motto, as we heard again and again yesterday at the memorial service, he would often remind his wife and his kids, no matter what, Jesus is enough. So John again reminds us that as well. So follow along as I read from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And anyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. But this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For anyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water in the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For thee, there are the... Three that testify, the spirit, the water, the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is even greater. For this is a testimony of God that he has borne what he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. And whoever does not believe God does not make him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning the son. And this is the testimony 
that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do come and we gather again to look at this passage, your words to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would have your way in our lives this morning, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, that you would change us. And Lord, even if there's one who may not know you this morning, that this would be their day, that they would put their faith in the Son of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, at least of the movies. I have to confess, I have never made it through the books. Shame on me, I know. <laughs> but I know the movies are pretty close to the book. And then the, uh, the last book of the Lord of the Rings and the last movie, The Return of the King by J.R. Tolkien. Um, who, those who may not know the movie, it's basically about um, Frodo, who has this burden to carry the ring to, to the pit of doom, I think, and to destroy the ring. Because that ring had so many powerful, negative, horrific influences in the life and the lives of many in, in, that, in that world. And so on the end of his journey, there's two scenes that I think captivate me um, that I think often kind of maybe helps us to see how we, how we view life. But it, it, it's, it's this relationship between Sam and Frodo. I, I love that relationship. It's so beautiful relationship. But here they are at the end of the journey. Both are overcome by exhaustion. And here this interaction. This is Sam going first. Sam says, do you remember the Shrier, Mr. Frodo? It'll be spring soon, and the orchids will be in blossom, and the birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket, and they'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields and eating the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of strawberries? Frodo says, no, Sam. I can't recall the taste of food, nor the sound of water, nor the touch of grass. I'm naked in the dark with nothing, no veil between me, and the will of fire, the will of fire, I can see him with my waking eyes. Then Sam says, and let's get rid of it once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And then when they're at the pit where Frodo is to throw the ring into that fire to destroy it, Sam, uh, um, says, Frodo, and Frodo says, I'm here, Sam. And Sam says, destroy it. And Frodo holds the ring of its chain over the edge of the pit. And Sam says, go on now, throw it into the fire. Frodo, Frodo stares at the ring, and the ring whispers to him. What are you waiting for, Sam says, just let it go. Frodo turns and looks at Sam. The ring is mine. And he snaps the chain and, and he approaches a ring to the finger. And Sam says, no, no. And Frodo slips the ring and vanishes. And Sam says, no. Don't we often feel that living as a Christian in life is much like a burden that Frodo has been carrying with the ring? We feel more overwhelmed and burden than as conquerors and as free. Our failures to love, our failures to believe, our failures to obey discourage us. And we ask, is life really worth it? Does it have to be that hard 
to be a follower of Christ. See, John knew that struggle. And so in this passage, he understands the reality of living in a broken, painful, hurtful world. He knows that Christians can be easily distracted from what is important. He realizes the temptations we face day in and day out in our relationships with one another. That is why John is so adamant in reminding us that what will keep us going is keeping the main thing the main thing, and that is our, that is our faith in Jesus Christ. If we want to grow in our relationship with God, if we want to grow in our relationship with one another, we need to keep the gospel front and central in our life. That's what Sam was trying to do to help Mr. Frodo. Lord, Frodo, keep, it, keep focus. The ring is not good. There's so much something better. And we need to destroy the ring. And he was willing to carry that burden with him. John is, as our father, remember, he comes as a father of the faith, loving these children, wanting them to experience the grace of the gospel. And so we come this morning with this passage with that same mind that God wants us to experience his grace and mercy. So two things we need to realize if we want to live as more than conquerors is that we need to understand that we have been born of God. If you're looking at your notes, there's these two categories. We've been born of God and we have a testimony. We've been born of God and we have a testimony. Look a good with, again with me at verses 1 to 5. It says we've been born of God. So what do I mean that we've been born of God? Well, John mentions three times this idea of being born of God, of being born of him in those, three, in those verses. Born of God, it basically means that we've been regenerated. Big word, right? But it, it is, God, is a God-given life that he's given us so that we can believe, that we can love, that we can obey. See, we're unable to believe, we're unable to love, we're unable to uh, obey until God gives us this new spiritual birth. See, there's a real link between faith, love, and obedience. And it's this new birth that he's given us, that we've been born again, that we've been, uh, you know, revived. We've been given a new life. And so faith, love, and obedience are the natural growth which followers, which follows being born of God. So let's look at each one of them. Belief. Our believing is the consequence, not the cause, of the new birth. In fact, my present and your present and continuing activity of believing is a result in the evidence of our past experience of a new birth by which we became and remain God's children. And the object of our belief, the object of our faith is who? Jesus Christ. Again, John is reminding him in this passage, it is Jesus who's the Messiah, who was born in the flesh, whose death was both real and necessary. It matters who we believe, John is reminding the church, and he's reminding us today. And it's God's spirit, the one who's responsible for our new birth, then that shows us that Jesus Christ is the one we are to put our trust in for our salvation. It is the spirit works that gives us faith, that reminds us, that shows us that Jesus is the real deal, that he is the one who has come to save us from our sins, that he is fully man and fully God, it is Jesus that needs to be front and center for us. Again, he reminds them again and again in the passage of that reality. But not only does this new birth bring us to believe in Jesus Christ, 
John is saying that this new birth brings us in a loving relationship with God and other people. Look at verses, end of verses 1 and 2. It says, anyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. But this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. As the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, the practice of our faith is love. In fact, Paul says it as well in Galatians to the church in Galilee. He says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith expressing itself in love, working itself out in love. So what are they saying? He's saying whoever has been born of God loves God and loves others. Right? When we have this faith in Christ, it will be expressing itself in love. That is the primary practice of our faith. And so he uses a metaphor drawn from natural experience. A person who loves and respects a father will also love and respect his child. I think one thing that I noticed when I was in high school, my, my friends loved my father. He was a cool dad. And because of that, I think I got extra points. Because <laughs> I was attached to my dad, they loved me as well. Um, so it was a benefit for my, to be, for my dad to be in that family relationship because my, my, you know, my friends like my dad, so they like me too. They don't want to get rid of me because they like spending time with my dad. <laughs> right? In the same way, right? If, if we say we love God, right, then we're going to be loving one another in the body of Christ, and we're going to love others who are outside the faith as well. But the love of God will be marked in us because we've been born anew, that we've been, been born from God. And so this love will flow out from us in our lives. It's not an option. John says that you, don't, you, can, you can't pick and choose who you're going to love in the body of Christ, right? If Brian offends me, I still need to love him. And if I offend him, he still needs to love me, right? We work it out. It's not an option because, why? Because we've been born anew. We've been born of God. We got this spiritual new life that enables us not only to have faith, but to love. But not only does this spiritual new life provide faith and, and, and love, but it's also, it gives us the ability to obey. Look at verses 3. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So the object of faith is Jesus. The practice of our faith is love. And the delight of our faith is obedience. See, because of this new birth, right, there's a delight to obey. Right? There's a delight, children, if there's any children here, to obey your parents. There's a, there's a delight, fathers and mothers, and not exasperating your children. Right? There's a delight to do what God has called us to do. So this faith, love, and obedience go hand in hand. And so John, John again reminds us that whether or not people love the children of God can be determined by the presence or absence of love for God and obedience to God's commands. His thoughts are somewhat in a circle. This is because these three things involved can't exist apart from one another. One cannot love God and keep his commands without loving others, believers. And one cannot love other believers without loving God and keeping his commands. And one can't love and obey apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Faith, love, and obedience go hand in hand as a child of God because we've been born of new. We've been given this new life. Then he says something really radical, right? 
Following God's command is what? Not burdensome. Can we say that? How many times have I felt God's word has a burden? They're a burden. How can I carry this? Like Frodo, how can I carry this ring to destruction? Now, how can I faithfully love my family? How can I faithfully love my enemies? It, it sometimes feels like a burden. But John is saying, no. Because you're, you've given a, a spiritual new life, it's no longer a burden. The commands are not burdensome. They're, they're not irksome anymore. For the believer has been given this new birth and the spirits at work in us. Now God has given us the ability by faith in Christ to keep his commandments. See, God's commands are not a bitter burden because personal faith enables us to break free of the world's downward pull. Think of my friend Mike, who's now at home with the Lord. When we would get together, he would, he would love talking about the Word of God. And he would love to talk about how, how that has, in his faith relation, affects him and how he then loves his children. We would often talk about our children and, and the struggles that we may be having and, and how we can encourage one another. But it, it was always centered about how, how, how does the Word inform us? How does, how, does, uh, how does this faith, love, obedience work itself out? How do, how do we help our kids? How, how do we help others know that no matter what, Jesus is enough? He had a delight to share the love with his kids. In fact, his one son, who they struggled for six years, his, he, and it was a beautiful testimony because I was in the midst of that time where, well, where Mike would, and, and Pam, his wife, they were, they were struggling with how to, how to love their son who, who was, struggling, was struggling with so much. He was wrestling with so much pain, so much, um, um, he was so downcast. He doesn't, you know, he's just really struggled in life and how he resisted his parents' love, how he resisted Mike's love. And he would, Mike would go out of his way to try to find ways to love his son, find ways to help him to find Christ, even in the midst of that struggle. And it was painful for them. And it was just a beautiful testimony of the power of God by the work of the Spirit that this son said about a year ago, him and his father made peace with one another because his son made peace with God. And he's able to see the beauty of what his, this love that his father showed to him and show, helped him to see the love that, that God has for him. And, it, and it, it has revolutionized his life. Does he still deal with stuff? Yeah but he has this now on a journey with a, a new life. He's, got a, he's able now to appreciate this love that his father has demonstrated to him because he saw that love ultimately in, in the person of Christ. See, it's not a burden if we're believers to follow God's word. In fact, Jesus himself wanted to remind us of that in Matthew 11. He says, this, at this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, to such was your gracious will. And all these things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Father except the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he says, come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden. And what does he say? I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For what does he say? I am gentle, lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus understands, right? God understands how we wrestle with how, how we make life so burdensome. And he says, no, come, come to me and let me help you. Let me help you cast your bear cares onto me. Cast your burdens onto me. How, how, we, I want to know that I am with you and helping you work through this life that you too, you can overcome, that you can be more of a conqueror as you run to me and, and as, I, as you lay those burdens down to me. I want to give you rest in the midst of the chaos. I want to give you rest in the midst of the pain. And that is that we're born again, we're born anew, we're born from God to be those conquerors. What does verses four and five say? For anyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, what is the world? John uses it often in this passage, but again, it is the worldly attitudes and values that are opposed to God. These are things that tempt us to, to lust, to envy, to covet. There are things that, that we, try to, we look for satisfaction more than God. And again, John reminds them of the good news that you have been given this new birth and thus you have this faith in Jesus Christ who himself has overcome the world. See, we have overcome the world because of Christ overcoming the world. Now, we have overcome the worldly tendency to satisfy our sinful cravings. And as a result, we are free now to show love and fulfill God's command. I like what my... New Testament professor said, he says, this is all of Christ. He is the victor. And his followers prevail only because their master has made a way for them. The word of God lives in them, and and the one who is in them is greater than the one who is in the world. Man, why don't I get this? (laughs) Why don't we get this? Not only do we have all we need from God to have faith in Jesus, to love others, to obey his commands, because we've been born anew, that we've been given a new birth, but we have all we need in growing and dealing with our, my sin and your sin and, and in finding more and more satisfaction in Jesus. I'm always asking, what is stopping me from loving others? Is it because I'm trying to find more satisfaction in what the world brings? than in my own faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, God recreated us to be other-centered, but it, it seems like our sin traps us into this inward cultivation of the soul, as sin, Martin Luther once describes it. See, the sin, this, this, uh, this, this struggle in our new life versus old life, uh, the sin makes you self-centered. It, it's committed to self-rule and to self-sufficiency and to self-righteousness and self-satisfaction and self-taught. But your, yet, your new birth and faith in Christ provides us a relationship that can be totally different. As Mike faithfully loved his son for over six years who caused chaos in his family, that is a work of the Spirit. He did not give up. It was not burdensome in a sense because he, he delighted to show him Jesus any way that he could. In fact, it said that when he would swim often, uh, he would swim for a long time during, every morning he would swim like for an hour or more 
And he would faithfully, that time, he would pray for his family. He would pray for his kids. He would pray for his friends. What great way to, to show this, this, this idea of this reality of this new birth of love, faith, and obedience by actively praying for your kids. I mean, I would be drowning if I was swimming that long, right? But he took a great joy in the pleasure of swimming to pray for his kids, to show them that kind of love. He knew he was growing to know and experience and that Jesus was enough for him as he was laying his burden down to Jesus. Faith, love, obedience go hand in hand because of this new birth that we have. And then John reminds us that because of this, we have a testimony. This is, who, this is who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has been, that he has been born concerning the Son. Work quickly here. Three testimonies. God's testimony. Water. Here it refers to Jesus' baptism brings this tried and true testimony of God. At Jesus' baptism, he was declared the Son of God and he was commissioned and empowered for his ministry. Again, to prove that he was the real, fully human, fully God, fully human one who's come to take away our sins. That's what water means there. He's talking about Jesus' earthly ministry. That if we look to Jesus, that is a testimony of God saying that I have here, I'm here, the Messiah is here. He has come to save us from our sins. And then we have the testimony of his blood, and that was, refers to the death on the cross where he atoned for our sins and took the wrath and judgment of God for us. See, his death provided a tried and true testimony of the gospel. At Jesus' death, we see his work was finished. Again, showing that Jesus was a real and he really died on the cross to provide cleansing for our sins, which those who, went, who left that church at the time denied. So we have the water, Jesus' earthly ministry. We have the, his death on the cross, the blood. Then we have the Spirit who also testifies, bear witnesses to the truth of the gospel. So again, confirming this is God's testimony. Because God's testimony is so much better than human testimony. And he's reminding the church, and, and John is reminding us today that we have a fulfilled, tried and true testimony in the gospel. And he wants us to hold on to that as we live out this faith, love, and obedience. In fact, all three are in total agreement. These three testimonies support one another and give consistent, solid evidence of Jesus and his message. It is so much greater, greater than we can ever imagine our thoughts. You see, John emphasizes that this is God's testimony to encourage the church of God, to, to, to remind the church that God is beyond all this. They all agree and provide solid, tried and true testimony because of God's plan to provide a single divine testimony in Jesus Christ. The question for us, right, in verses 10 and 12, have you received the testimony? Have you put your faith in the person and work of Christ for your salvation. If you have, then the good news is for you on this journey to live as a child and to live out your faith, love, and obedience 
by the work of the Spirit, that we can grow together in our life together, that we can rejoice to know that our salvation is not dependent on anything that we have done or said or didn't do or say. It's based solely on the person and work of Christ. It is grace upon grace that we received. And so we grow in living out that testimony. But maybe you're one who, who, do not, you do, who have not yet experienced that testimony, that you, you have not experienced that life. We invite you today to consider this Jesus who came to this world to save us from our sins, to save us from eternal destruction and to bring us into eternal life, this high quality life that Jesus himself represents. He offers that to you and to me. What I learned about Mike is not only do we have this testimony for ourselves, we have a testi this testimony is to be shared. He had a delight to share this with anybody he could meet. In his business world, in his community, he was about bearing the testimony, this God-given testimony of Jesus. That is the same testimony we were to share as well. If you're a believer today, we are called to bear witness of this testimony to our neighbors, to our friends, to our, neighbor, to our enemies, to our co-workers. God has called us to be a testimony of this Jesus who has saved us and who has renewed us, who is growing us, has made us his children. May that be true for you. May that be true for me. Let us pray.